Hi, everybody. Billy Hulting here. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Jazz Roundtable number 19. Tonight's Trumpet Night with three great L.A.-based trumpet players. Wayne Bergeron, Dan Fornero, and Mike Rocha are deeply involved in the jazz and recording session scene here, and they all play together in Gord Goodwin's Big Fat Band. They talk about their origin stories and how that led to where they are now. They also talk about who they are listening to and what they listen for in recordings. There's some great road stories also. We get an inside peek into the secrets of trumpet playing and a bit of behind-the-scenes details in the lives of trumpet players. As always, the Jazz Roundtable is recorded in front of a live internet audience. I've edited a bit from the original, but all the good stuff is here from the live show. These shows are free, but if you'd like to leave us a little something in the tip jar, please go to live at 0bpm.com slash tip jar. And note, live at 0bpm.com is spelled live A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M.com. You can also tip on Venmo at 0BPM. We always love it if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us spread the word. I want to make this show better and you can help. Feel free to send ideas to podcast at live at 0BPM.com. Thank you and have fun listening. Welcome to the Jazz Roundtable, brought to you by Live at Zero BPM, with your host, Grammy Award-winning percussionist and mallet player, Billy Holting. Tonight's guests, Trumpet Night, featuring Wayne Bergeron, Dan Fernero, and Mike Rocha. And we don't charge a cover, but musicians are paid exclusively by your tips, so we strongly encourage you to do so. Just go to live at 0bpm.com slash tipjar. You can also tip on Venmo at C-E-R-O-B-P-M. And now, let's get to the music with your host, Billy Holting. Hey. <laughs> Uh, hey, everybody out there in Internet land. Uh, this is so much fun. I, I've wanted to have Wayne on for like a, a long time. And I also know Dan and I don't know Mike, but Wayne recommended I have them both on because they all play uh, in the same trumpet section in Gordon Goodwin's big band. Uh, so this will be really fun because, you know, we had Gordon on as a guest a while back. But just as a reminder, we are 100 percent tip based. No amount is too small. No amount is too large. I'll put the links in the chat rooms uh, and that. And even if you're listening to this as the podcast, which comes out sometime, uh, you can tip. And the tip jar stays up forever if you're watching a repeat of this or whenever you're doing that. But hey, let's get the guys on here. So, hey, it's, uh, it's the trumpet section. <laughs> hey, heck yeah. So we have Wayne Bergeron here. Let's see. Get some applause for Wayne. And then Dan Fernero and Mike Rocha. So Thank I want to I want to jump <laughs> into this. We're going to do some fun new stuff tonight. But uh, for those of you who, uh, uh, you know, if you're in the chat rooms, tell us where you're watching from. If you have questions for the guys, that's great. Any comments or anything, we, I will try to read those on the air as we go through this. But uh, I normally like to start out with the origin stories for each one of you. But uh, I just want to talk about how you guys all know each other and how you met. Music. Who wants this? Who wants to start? Well, I remember when I met uh, Mike Rocha. <clears throat> it was on uh, some gig we were on, out, on out, some outdoor gig, and, and there was this uh, this trumpet player just playing his ass off before we were supposed to go on. And I'm like, who the heck is that? And uh, that uh, became a fast friendship after that, and really impressed very, very early on. Virtually, I don't remember how we met. I don't remember how we met Wayne. 
Uh, yeah, well, you were, you were, you know, you were doing a lot of different stuff way back then, so you don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> but we met playing in some rehearsal bands, and you were in and out of town, kind of, because you were, you were doing other stuff, and and uh, but I I do know. Speaking of the big fat band, so we were looking for a lead trumpet player because our lead trumpet player, uh, or my other lead trumpet player, Dennis Farius, um, who has passed away now, you know, unfortunately, and was a great player, and uh, but he had some issues, yeah, and and uh, unfortunately, you know, he had, he had anyway, he got fired from the band basically, and uh, and we went through a bunch of different lead trumpet players, and uh, and Dan Finero was in town, back in town from being on the road with Phil Collins and Johnny Holiday and these acts he did, and remember him coming into the jazz bakery and playing the, the first night on the band, and after like three tunes, I looked at Gordon, I said, this is the guy. And that's how our relationship rekindled in years I'll later. Say that, you know? Yeah, yeah. and uh, we've been we've been Dan and I have been uh, bosom buddies ever since, and he's my right hand man as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and Rocha, did we meet on the Big Fat Band? Actually, I mean, I knew of your playing because I'd heard you play on uh, maybe that uh, Alan Chang's record, maybe. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing a cycle man, who the hell is that soloing on that? I didn't know you yet, but I saw the name, yeah. you know. We met briefly in 2006 when you clinicked the college band. Oh, that's right. Thanks for joining me. Remember, you were in the college band. See, I just think of you, you as know, an old fuck now. <laughs> we're, we're, all dressed the, we're all dressed the same, so it's hard to remember who's who. <laughs> but, right, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I moved to L.A. in 2010. And uh, then I want to say we really first got to play in in like 2015 together about then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when you were looking for a new jazz player in the Fat Band, brought yeah. us together. So we, it was the same yeah. thing with Mike when he came onto the band uh, from the first solo. You know, we're like, oh, yeah. all right, this guy, he'll do. This guy <laughs> will do. Work. That'll but work. also... Besides being a great soloist, Mike can play some lead, but he's also uh, in the big fat band. Is such a you know it's a it's a well oiled machine. So you're coming on as a new player, adapting to how the band plays. Um, and Mike was on board on that very quickly. You know he's a great reader, and he's like you know oh I got to play this volume, I got to back off, I got to do this, and he was on it very quickly. And that's it's kind of what we look for, uh, you know, when players are subbing as well. You know you want somebody that's going to come in that's you have to listen and you know. Now, it's did really you, the job description. Wayne, yeah. did you and Dan start in the Big Fat Band at the same time? or No, no, no. I've been in the Big Fat Band since, it's con- since it was started. Yeah. He came on uh, several, several years later. And the band's uh, evolved was... over the years you know, uh, quite, yeah. a, quite a bit to what it is now. It, to, I think it's the best it's ever been. I came I mean, in halfway through section. this. The second mm-hmm. album, I think, was XXL that you guys did. And I came in halfway through that recording and I got on Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, but but as a trumpet section, we've had a lot of great players, but this group as a section, unfortunately, we don't have Dan Savant with us tonight. The fourth yeah. trumpet player was not available. He's too busy. <laughs> yeah, just, Wayne and I were talking about how the, the fourth guy is the one who's working tonight. <laughs> but he's also, he, you know, he could buy all of us here. He could buy and sell all of us. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a, you know, one of the bigger contractors in town and a and, uh, great player and a great, great cat and, uh, great and our guy. boss in a lot of ways, you know. Well, maybe on a future a episode, we'll get everybody over, over here yeah, to yeah. play together and, yeah. and do some stuff. Yeah, he, but that, that's cool. I here. just wanted to start out there because L.A., so many cats know so many other guys. I just was kind of interested how you guys all met, you know, from 
Now, full disclosure, I know Wayne because we actually toured together for yes, a month did. or so way back with Maynard Ferguson. And uh, later on, I'm going to ask Wayne to do an impression of Maynard's warm-up routine. So, <laughs> but, uh, but for those of you who don't know Wayne, I imagine we got some people already here in the audience that know you. I'm going I'm to get to the names in a little bit. But, but Wayne, you know, you, when I knew you, you were really kind of uh, – everybody knew you, but you were still up and coming. And now you kind of do everything. I mean, I'm looking at your resume, and I was joking the other day, it would be easier to say who you haven't played with because I've got – it says Ray Charles to Green Day, including Panic at the Disco, Katy Perry, Beyonce, Barbara Streisand, Michael Bublé, Mary J. Blige, and, and on and on. And you've done over 450 TV and motion picture soundtracks. And you have featured trumpet solos. Could be heard on West Side Story, the 2021, which I haven't seen yet, but I'll look forward to that. Secret Life of Pets 2, La La Land, Rough Night, Ted 2, Minions, and Jersey Boys. And you play on all the award shows in town, right? Uh, I play a lot of them. I used to play... Uh I used to play most of them, and then a lot of them did away with bands, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know or, cha or things change. I, we're still doing the Academy Awards. I've done that uh, for 15 years. That's been my 16th year. And Dan, matter of fact, Dan and I wow. are on the Academy Awards uh, coming up here, which is, is nice. Now, and, getting uh, into it, you, it, your, your bio said you had a, uh, a natural ability for high notes when you started trumpet. How old were you back uh, then? Uh, well, I was in the seventh grade, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'll just give a quick version of this story because sure. most people have heard it and read it. And uh, but my I, my school got vandalized, and my French horn got destroyed, and I got switched to trumpet. And on the trumpet, because of the shape of the mouthpiece, uh, you know, being a shallower cup than a French horn, I had this kind of instant range. So the first time I picked up a trumpet, I went to you know kid a C in the staff. I tried to play a you know something like that, and I got some weird squeaky sounds like. You know, like somebody, you know, jumping on a dog's tail, that kind of sound, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't realize that that was good at the time, you know. I just thought I sucked because I couldn't play the note I was trying to play. And it turns out that I could do something that none of the other kids could do at the time. So, uh, you know, my ego just became massive when I finally had something I could do with it. Because <laughs> I really sucked at sports and I, you know, I didn't have any uh, natural ability at anything. So I could do this weird little trick, you know, and uh, and probably why I still play today. And now, I did get some good guidance along the way because yeah. I found out you couldn't get a gig just playing a double high C. You had to be able to play songs and stuff, I found out later. So I had to learn how to play all the notes below that. My range is the same now as it was when I was 12. Really? It is. <laughs> that just but, pisses me off. <laughs> but I'm a, I mean, I like to think I'm a better trumpet player now, you know, but maybe that just not. pisses me off. That's great. I developed a lot of bad habits. And then I developed a lot of bad habits because of that. <laughs> now, were you, were you playing in the jazz band in seventh grade? Did they have that, or were you playing in the wind ensemble? What were you doing? A con con beginning band and beginning jazz ensemble, Hostler Junior High and Linwood. Okay, and uh, and my my band director was a guy named Ron Savitt, who was a good like all around trumpet player, and uh, he ended up taking me under his wing. And through high school, I studied with him, and he kind of helped develop me. And he showed me a lot of really uh, the the coolest things he showed me were to be stylistic, to be able to play different kinds of music convincingly, like play a Dixieland song or. Uh, you know, replace something and sound like a Baroque trumpet player or mm. play like, you know, Snooky Young, play a lead trumpet part like that, play like Harry James oh, wow. and uh, Louis Armstrong. He would, so that's what we worked on. We worked on style. And uh, he goes, well, well, you got range. We don't need to work on that. You know, we're going to work on music. So that's what we did. And we read a ton of music. 
Good teacher. Uh, which, yeah. yeah, which was great because, you know, if you're reading all that, I, mean, I was a pretty good reader by the time I was a junior in high school. I could read pretty well. Um, I thought I could anyway. <laughs> Maybe I sucked. I don't know. <laughs> but now, Dan, you've done a, you moved here in 82 to L.A. Where did you move from? Uh, I'm originally from Wisconsin, and then I went to school in North Texas for four years, and then I went on the road for six months uh, with the uh, uh, Al Pearson Big Band USA, okay. which uh, was, uh, somebody coined it, they said it was $350 a week and all the pride you could swallow. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> hey, my first but, road uh, gig was 350 yeah. a week, and that included per diem. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something, man. I learned a lot on that band. I got to thank him years later for, for that experience. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I did that for six months uh, before he fired me. And then um, I kind of moved back to Wisconsin for about two months just to sort of get my bearing and figure out if it was going to be, you know, L.A. or Chicago or New York. But I knew it was going to be L.A. And so I, at the urging of my father, he said, you need to get somewhere, buddy. <laughs> you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be here anymore. And, uh, and so uh, I moved to L.A. in, uh, in 82. And, and I guess within six months you got the gig with the Woody Herman Band? That's correct. Were yeah. you playing lead or gig what, were you section? I played lead, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I did and, the gig. I got. I joined the band uh, the day after the Monterey Jazz Festival, and I met them up in Northern California. Yeah. They flew me up there, and then uh, I quit the band at the Monterey Jazz Festival the following year. Wow. The circle of life. There you go. <laughs> so, but you've also toured with Tom Jones, Brian Setzer, Al McKay, Phil Collins, Neil Diamond, and Gordon Goodwin, it says here, so... There you go. Were those all road uh, road things, or were you doing sessions for them as well? Uh, well, you know, we recorded some stuff for Phil and and, uh, and for Neil, and yeah, no, yeah, actually for Johnny. I never recorded and Brian for Tom Setzer Jones. as well. Yeah, you did Setzer. Yeah, Setzer, but not for Tom Jones. He uh, he always, you know, we could never figure that out. We're like, you know, you're trusting us to like 200 shows a year, but you don't want to give us, you know, the chance to come and record new music with you. It was kind of odd to me, but. Well, you know, his producers had the guys they like to use in LA and all in London and such. So it makes sense now. But at the time, I remember going, "Come on, man!" <laughs> you know? Well, I talked to a lot of you know artists that said the same things. They they didn't know why they didn't use their touring band for the sessions. They just they, yeah. we just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. But I mean, uh, you know, if, if you could have me on lead trumpet on your record, you know, in in the eighties, or you could have you know Gary Grant, you mm-hmm. know, get Gary Grant. I don't blame him a bit. Yeah. And now you've also done a ton of movies, Incredibles 2, Coco, La La Land, The Brothers, Warner, Tag, Pearl, Chips, Tangled Horrible Bosses, <laughs> and stuff like that. Now, And Wayne says you guys do like a ton of stuff together. Seems to be, uh, yeah. 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 Including today's session, which we don't have to talk about. We don't have to talk about <laughs> You know, sometimes the sessions are just like the memorable, wonderful experience where you leave there with, you know, feeling really good about it. And, uh, and then there's today. <laughs> where I left, I left pissed off and called Dan on the cell phone immediately when I got in my car to vent. <laughs> so. he, was, he was in his car driving away and he rolled the window down. He said, make sure your phone's on. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think after all these years, they would just get easier. But that, let's talk a little bit. Hey, Mike, uh, you, I, I was looking at your bio and that Septet album, the Lapit Rocha Septet First Take album is out. When was that released? 
That came out uh, on my birthday in 2018, so August 21st, 2018, we released the record and uh, had a big show at the Blue Whale in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, which unfortunately yeah. was a casualty of the pandemic. Super sad. That venue was really great. But uh, yeah, it had a great turnout. It was really fun putting the record together. Hey, you bring me one too, all right? <laughs> um, and... Uh, it, it was cool putting it together, you know, it's all original music and, uh, you know, having the guys over to the house to rehearse the whole thing up. And then we did it uh, with no editing. So we went in the studio and we set it up kind of old school style and like an old Art Blakey record. And so we're all in one room. We were at uh, room one at East West and um, mm-hmm. yeah, just did it live. So we did, a, you know little trivia here the record is called first take but we did do two takes of each tune (laughs) but it's everything is one complete take which is kind of cool so i love that human element of music i'm i'm not super huge on like the ultra polished perfected stuff i love hearing um i love hearing people make a mistake and what they do in that moment as that's kind of like being juggled you know what (laughs) what choices are getting made or I, I really like that, you know, especially recovery can be such a beautiful thing. And uh, I don't know, I just really value hearing that in music rather than, you know, we've gone through and we've made all these edits to the music and now it's this perfect thing that there is not one flaw in and everyone will love it. It's like, yeah, that's cool too. It, it is. But, you know, you must I just hate come my from. Record. No, no. <laughs> must hate my records too. Sure. I just, <laughs> just hate it. Hey, can we just mute him? Get rid of him, Billy. We just Dan and I will do this. You sure Dan Savant wasn't around? Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's really a, a product of technology. Like, as technology gets better, you now have that available to you. You know, you can you can stitch little tiny things. You can pitch correct to a, an nth degree. You can do all kinds of stuff. So if it's available, you know, you may as well use it. I just... It's my personal record, so it was like I can do whatever I want. I don't care about what you guys think. You want all that? Yeah, I notice. I notice it's pretty out of tune on some stuff. There, so yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the disclaimer on all Wait, that stuff. Wade's gonna send some notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Mike. That, if I can just piggyback off of that, I I completely agree with you. Likewise. Um, with with all of that, because there's a lot of music that uh, that I listen to that I just go, oh man, there's. That can't be reduplicated live, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know that perfect. And uh, when I, to be honest with you, when I was doing my own records. My producer, Gary Grant, was going, "Oh, let's just punch in right here. Why do you have to take a breath?" I go, well, "I need a breath there." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Well, we can just punch it. It sound better without the breath." I go, "But I won't be able to play it live then." Yeah. And so I did try, even though there's obviously several takes on my things and I overdubbed most of my solos and stuff, I did try to keep the human element in it so it could all be played, you know, and... Uh, yeah. But, you know, but that, I mean, that, your comments, ahead, Mike, Mike, about, you know, wanting to keep the imperfections and, you know, playing yourself out of a corner and all of that, I, I think that's my favorite part of listening to a jazz soloist, you know. That's why I love Woody Shaw so much, you know, you could... You can see him just stop and get stuck and then just do his little sort of high thing and then come out of it just ripping, you know. And uh, I think that there's great beauty in that and, and, and you know, uh, authenticity in it. And, I, you know, I, I respect you for that, man. 
Well, that's for what, sure. You know, and that's what it is. You know, that's what jazz is. <laughs> you know. And all all of us here on this call, and probably a majority of the people in the chat room, are we're all live players. You you grow up a live player, and then you become a studio player. It's typically the route. I don't know many people who've like gotten really good at music just practicing alone at home only, right? It's a team sport that you, it's a team sport that you practice at, on your own, but then you got to get with the team. And, um, you know, lot, we all learn live and we learn how to manage it. I mean, even on the fat band, shit can go wrong. And it's like, what, what happens, what happens in the moment? Right. I mean, I was there for Ray Brinker's first gig and, you know, almost crash and burned on uh, Rhapsody in Blue. I love you, Ray. You're my guy. But I heard it. We all heard it. It's all good. I fuck up too. But point being that um, it's, man, there's masterful stuff in that. You know, when you hear a, a masterful musician uh, mitigating those mistakes and, and what they choose to do in that moment, you know, maybe they played a note and it actually surprises them. And they're like, whoa, I didn't mean to play that note. But how can I now turn that note into a meaningful phrase in my music that now sounds like it was actually determined that I was going to play that note previously or something. Like Thelonious yeah. Monk always said, you know, if I play the shit three times, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's just, let's, who are you guys, who do you listen to or who would you recommend any of our listeners who aren't already, uh, you know, aficionados of the trumpet players, who would you recommend they listen to? Wayne, who's some of your favorites? Well, I mean, right now, I'm into a few different cats. I listen to a lot of classical trumpet players, but I also, I really dig this cat named Till Bronner. Mm. And he's a German trumpet player, and he's very Jack Sheldon, Chet Baker influenced. He sings, and he's one of the most beautiful trumpet players I've ever heard. As a matter of fact, I have <laughs> one of his solos transcribed right here. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so uh, very accessible music and uh lyrical and it, his his playing moves me uh when i listen to it there's not a note i don't like of course i love all the cats that we'd all say you know we're all influenced by miles and freddie hubbard and clifford mm -hmm. and lee morgan and you know fats navarro and a gazillion cats and and local cats we grew up with dan and i chuck chuck finley you know we wore him out and bobby shoe you know and they're players I still listen to to this day, um, and there's dozens more. So, uh, but right now, Till Browner is kind of my my cat, and Mike Rocha, of course. <laughs> Mike who? Because Mike, Mike? Mike, I can steal stuff from him. He gives me stuff. I know him. <laughs> Dan, what about you? Any other names you want to add to that lovely I list? Mean, I'll, I'll jump on the Till Browner uh, bandwagon there, man. He's brilliant. But the one I'm listening to most often now is uh, Alex, Alex Sipiagin. Oh, yeah, he's uh, another cat. Yeah. Just, it's just an extension of Woody Shaw. I've always been drawn to Woody Shaw. Uh, I first heard Woody Shaw in, uh, when I was 16. Heard him live was the first exposure I had to him in 1975. And uh, it's just, you know, he's just always been the one for me. And Alex has taken that and beyond. Uh, it's just a... Uh, he honors Woody so beautifully. I think he's, he's really one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Cool. And Mike Rocha, of course. Okay. Mike, two, <laughs> two votes for Mike. And Mike, how about yourself? Well, uh, one, one cat kind of off the beaten path that I really like from the mid-30s is a cornetist named Rex Stewart. 
who I think is a super cool player. He um, he involves a lot of things in the music that I really like that are very like emphatic. He's not really a bebop player. He involves a lot more of like rips and growls and quotes and the, it makes the solos really exciting to listen to. Like I said, very em- emphatic and I like the that influence in the trumpet. Um, I think eighth notes get a little old after a while and you got to figure out some other shit to do. And he was all about finding all the fun stuff that is idiosyncratic to the trumpet, you know, so doing all this fun, like kind of sonic things, but yeah, Rex Stewart's really cool. And then, um, new guys, shoot, man, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of new cats and especially with now social, you really get a taste of like who's up and coming and who's got next. But, um, no, I don't like any new guys, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Bob Brookmeyer said that one time. He yeah, that, that's right. Not, they asked they asked him if there was any up and coming guys. He like he said no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's a ton, man. There's there's great players in. Oh God, everywhere there's great players. I mean, I feel like you don't have to even look that far. It really comes down to your flavor. What do you like? You know, you don't got to like everything. And that's what I tell a lot of my younger students. I'm like, figure out, uh, figure out what you don't like. You know, it's it's easy to like everything or just throw on a record and be like, oh yeah, it's cool. I like it. But I want to hear what you don't like about it too. You know, Mm -hmm. really pinpointing that stuff and and getting into the, the depth of that. But uh, Ambrose is cool, you know. Everybody knows him. It's a little more yeah. avant garde, but uh, but man, the the melodicism is actually there, and his rhythm is really cool. He's got a lot of cool rhythmic stuff, and to me, that's a big draw. I like rhythm a lot. I like color a lot. Um, but then I just end up playing a lot of eighth notes. Yeah. Do you ever listen <laughs> you to this guy? These other two guys recommended Mike Rocha. Do you ever listen to him? <laughs> <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> well, speaking of which, hey Mike, do you want? Do you feel like playing something for us? Now, I, I just uh, going to say, Wayne and Dan had like a 12-hour session today, so they're, they're excused from playing. Cause I, but, I, but Mike said he felt fresh as a daisy before the show. And Mike, do you want to play something for us? I see you've got um, your j- Charlie Parker uh, Omnibook open behind you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, always recommended, you know, study yeah. from the masters. Mm-hmm. Bird was pretty good. Yeah, oh, and yeah then, he, uh, he was nice, you know, yeah. Gotta have uh, a little HL Clark, you know. You gotta get it in. But, yeah, um, let's. Cl- I want to hear Clark number two, A major, uh, quarter <laughs> equals one forty four, low octave. Go. Here, real quick though. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a couple things that I want to share that I feel like uh, the musicians in our audience and maybe even Wayne and Dan will get uh, something cool out oh. of. But there's a free. Uh, <laughs> musicians <there's> and <laughs> Wayne and Dan. Dan yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> How do you mute this fucking guy? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to share this, and then I want to hear how you got fired from Al's band. Yeah, but, somebody um, actually asked. Uh, we have somebody in the audience who actually said he used to play in Al's band and was curious how you got fired, but you don't have to tell the story if you don't Oh, it does, it does say that. I'll tell you what happened. He wanted us... Um, he, he had really strict rules about uh, behavior on the bandstand and off the bandstand, and uh, I didn't want to... Uh, uh, you know, adhere to them, and you know, because I was you know 22 and I was a hot shot, and, and uh, you know, I was just a rebel. And and he finally had enough of it, and so he he wrote um, he wrote a, a a whole list of rules, and then he he had us sign it, or or we were fired. 
And so um, I, I refused to sign it, and I wrote on there uh, something like, I refuse to sign this testimony of obedience or something like that. Hmm. Wow. And, uh, and when I showed up for the next leg of the tour, I was uh, staying with my folks at the time after college. And uh, so I drove from Kenosha, Wisconsin, down to uh, Chicago to meet the bus. And when I walked onto the bus with my stuff, there was a guy sitting in my chair. And that's how I knew I got fired. Wow. And, I, and, and the guy looked at me like, sorry, man. And I wow. was like, what the, you know. And, um, and so I said, what's going on here? And he said, you know, he says, when you get your own band together, he said, you can make up your own rules. And, and he just basically, you know, hit the curb, buddy. Wow. And I said, y- you could have called me. I didn't need to make this drive down here. He goes, yep. <laughs> and, uh, and that was that. Wow. You know. Yeah, it was it was, but it was um, uh, it was the best thing that could have happened because the truth was is I, I wore out my welcome on that band and I was you know really ready to move on to whatever was next and it sort of pushed me in that direction and like I said I, I did get to see him uh, I was on the Neil Diamond tour and I he was playing in the city we were in in Indianapolis and mm. I got to go up to him and, and the band was exactly like it was when I was on it you know twenty years earlier and, and uh, I told him who I was and he was gushing and and I got to thank him you know for what he, what I learned on that band no, it really cool. prepared me well to uh, when I got on Woody Span which is why I took the gig I wanted to have some road experience before I got on Woody Herman's band or Buddy Rich mm-hmm. or hopefully that would have happened you know it's kind of putting putting that out there already in my, in my manifesting it maybe or you know and uh, and so uh, it helped a lot because when I got on Woody's band I was terrified man and it was you know you you hit the ground running on that band. There's no mm. rehearsal. You're just in concert two night, and uh, and it was a lot for me. And uh, but the one thing that wasn't hard about it was I, I knew how to live on the road. You know, I knew what it was to live off a bus. And, you know, it was all good. Yeah. Okay, Mike. You wanted to talk about something, and then we're going to hear you play. <laughs> <clears throat> Is there a way for me to share a link? Uh, can you text it to me, and I can put it up on the screen? I can put it in the chat rooms. For me to put it on the screen, uh, you'd have to run through some things. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's get it into the chat room. But anyways, what it is, is as I'm getting it uh, ready to go here, is Berkeley, my alma mater in Boston, um, they put out a free uh, play-along series of contrafacts. So if we don't know what a contrafact is, it's... Um, a new melody written over an existing set of chord oh. changes that are a popularized set of chord changes. So, uh, like uh, this song called Dizzy is a contrafact of his tune Woody and You, and it has a different melody to it. And so he's done it for blues and 12 keys, and then a bunch of different standards, a lot of AABA, ABCD, all kinds of different standards. It's free to download and print. And the the rhythm section is killing. So well, I, you should all I, have this. I put it in the chat rooms. I will also put it in the uh, <clears throat> in the newsletter that goes out next Monday. Yeah, uh, I so add links the, from the shows. And this will also be on the show notes for the podcast and for and the show notes online as well. Yeah, so all the heads are written by Hal Crook, and he was kind of like the big-time guru out on the East Coast. Uh, a lot of people would fly from all over the world to spend time and take lessons with him. And uh, he's written several books that are all 
amazing. I can't recommend them highly enough. I don't get paid to recommend them. I just know that they're really, really awesome and have helped uh, improvisers across the board. But if you're looking for some good play-alongs that aren't Jamie Ebersole, because those are, I don't know, they're just not the best. Right. But uh, these ones are really good. So and they're free. So go download them right now, and I'll play. I'll play a little bit of one, and um, we can wait till the show's over before you leave and download them. <laughs> oh, but I'm, I'm on the page keep, right now. Oh yeah, there's a ton of stuff. Wow. Yeah, open a fresh tab. Don't close this tab. Yeah. And uh, Wayne and Dan can take a bathroom break and get a fresh beer, and I'll um, I'll just I'll play the break music here. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play that tune, Dizzy. Uh, so it's again, it's contrafact of Woody and you, and um, yeah, here goes. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Rocha. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Don't suck. <laughs> I've got the page right here. So, uh, very cool. Let's get back to the guys. Are you guys ready for the game show? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. This is something I thought of this afternoon, and I did a kind of a cool graphic for it. It's called, What is What? We're going to play some trivia and see how much the guys know about the trumpet. (laughs) Sounds like a great idea. See, the the audience loves it. (laughs) So, I think I'm just going to do this. If any of you knows the answer, just, you know, buzz in. Okay, here's an easy one. Which U.S. state quarter features the trumpet? Or features a trumpet? What? what? Which U.S. state quarter? Is it Louisiana? It is not, but you're pretty close. French quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Hind quarters. Any guesses? Uh, Kansas. (laughs) 
Kansas. No, it is Tennessee. It also has Son a guitar a... and a fiddle, along with the banner proclaiming musical heritage. The trumpet represents the jazz and blues the state is known for. Okay, well, so we still got an even number. Boy, that's some information I, I'm glad <laughs> I have now. <laughs> uh, and you're really going to like this one. Yes or no, was trumpet playing ever an Olympic sport? Should be. <laughs> Feels like it. Felt like it. Felt like it today. <laughs> yeah, in the Greek Olympics, they actually had an event for heralders and trumpeters, and a guy Get named Herodoros won ten years in a row. And he was, <laughs> says he, he was won ten consecutive contests. Was a huge man responsible for inspiring soldiers to win a battle by blowing two trumpets at the same time. There you oh. go. Wow. Two but trumpets. I, I don't know if he didn't have a range like Wayne, but. Uh, I knew a guy that could play three trumpets at once, but wow. you know, anything more than two is a cheap theatrical trick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. This is, a shout out, this is a shout out to Skip Wagner in Milwaukee, man, up in Three Lakes, Wisconsin. He played yeah. two trumpets at once. He was very, very kind to me when I was uh, up and coming and and uh, let me play with his band. And he could play harmony on that thing and pull off some Herb wow. Alpert and play both parts oh, at the same funny. time. Wow, he's that's a really, amazing. really great musician. He's in his late 80s right now and slowing down. But, uh, well, I tell you what, if I could, you know, worldwide say the name Skip Wagner, he was a great, great musician, man, great cat. Awesome. That always blew me away. I mean, I can understand playing two saxophones, but two trumpets, that just seems unbelievable. Wild, man. Yeah. Okay, now this one is a... I don't know if this is a tough one. You guys may know this. What is the highest note performed on the trumpet, and who played it? Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't me. It wasn't. But I, it would probably be somebody like, uh, you know, Ken Anderson, or I'm guessing, you know. I'm Johnny Madrid. Well, it's, Tron, yeah. it, it says here, the internet tells me, so I have no reason to doubt it. It said it was uh, a quad C, five oh. octaves above the low C on trumpet. And it was played by both Michael Schmidt and Mark Van Cleave. Uh, <laughs> Not common names, I don't think. Can we no, get well, Mark an audio Van example? A, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mark yes. Van Cleave is a marvelous trumpet player, man, and got mm. a ton of range. Yeah, that's, wow. I so is that is that is that a tri- above triple C? Are they talking about? Yeah, five octaves above triple C, above, above no, middle no. C, above low C on a trumpet, five octaves up. That's that's a high note. Octave above that one? I guess. Uh, I, I gotta hear it. I'm gonna have to double check the facts on that. Okay. Well, this is I wanna hear it in the bebop line, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I you know who to have in your next podcast. I mean, it's so, yeah. it's so high, none of it can hear it, so you can't uh, claim it isn't true. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing true. about high note trumpet, it, it seems to be fascinating to a lot of people. <laughs> it, it is. But, but really, you know, and we all have range here, and but the meat and potatoes of the trumpet, where high trumpet sounds good to me, is high C to, mm-hmm. to maybe if you've got a good A. That's the exciting range. That's where the power is in the trumpet. You start getting above double high C, and it's a good theatrical trick and all. And I've been guilty of playing some of those notes myself. Uh, but really, it doesn't really move me anymore. I, where I used to get excited about it and go, oh, wow, listen to that note. It just, I don't care anymore. Yeah, what's, that's the acrobatics I just want to hear a good swinging lead trumpet. That's yeah. all I want to hear. Okay, hey, Wayne, I got, a, I got a question for Wayne real quick. Before, when you were younger in L.A. and you started to get busy in the recording scene and people weren't writing for you, per se, like they do these days, 
right? Everybody knows that you're going to be on the session. They write a part for you. Back then, what what was the what was the working high note? Was it a double A? I mean, there was G's. That you know, I'd get on a movie call. I'd be playing fourth, but I would see they would have F's and G's, and you know, mm-hmm. on a, occasionally, just depends on the picture, of course. Most of it, and that stuff was orchestral in nature anyway. But occasionally, we'd have stuff uh, to play, and I and I, frankly, that's kind of how I. Got, I got in, I'd be in. I was a good enough player to get in in there on some sessions, and then something might come my way because I had an A, you know, maybe nobody yeah. there had an A, you know, and so it would come to me, and then somebody would go, oh, who the contractor would come over, oh, yeah, get your book. <laughs> I got some dates for you next week, you know, so right. that's how it can evolve that way, you know. Um, yeah. It's a kiss of death, though, because as Dan can tell you, the second somebody says, oh, that person's a jazz player. Mike Roach is a jazz player. That's the yep. kiss of death because it's saying you can't do anything else. Or Dan Fenero, right. oh yeah, he just plays lead. You know, where Dan proved today, sitting next to me, played a whole day of concert band music and and both of us played very convincingly, I thought. You know, I don't think we were Maurice Andre and... Uh, <laughs> but, but we did a very convincing job and so, you know, we're all trying to make ends meet here but if they pigeonhole you if you're just a classical player it limits what they're going to call you for yeah but that contractor then, wouldn't have said open up your date book just because you had the double a if you weren't bringing the goods on the rest of it also of, yeah of course yeah, yeah 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 so and one more question wayne um i i have a question coming from a friend they wanted me to ask you um if you could talk about your fourth valve <laughs> well, this is something I've been through a lot of uh, shit the last couple of years. I went, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about poor, poor Wayne, poor Wayne. I got knocked down with throat cancer and it took me down for the count. I could not play and I had to, you know, it took me a long time to put my act back together. And then I got hit in the lower mandibular nerve in May with a Novocaine needle and my whole side of my face went numb. And this is still numb right here. And it's been almost a year. So I got knocked down to my knees twice. And uh, I'm a kind of, I think, outside-the-box player. And uh, and I solve problems by doing weird things, like uh, opening the spit valve, which I call the fourth, the fourth valve, because it takes all the walls down between the notes. So if you're trying to get back into the upper register after you haven't played there in a while, those walls between the notes make it very difficult. But you open the spit valve... And it loosens everything up. And I've shared this with students that couldn't get above, let's say they have a high G or something, and they had very difficulty getting over that wall. I would say, try opening your spit valve when you play that note. And I've had pretty good success with them getting up into that. In, I call it the attic. You know, you got to get through the door into the attic, and then there's a bunch of cool notes up there that you may have not discovered yet. Um, so that's my fourth valve is the... Uh, uh, is that and I also I'll just show you another thing. This is not my main trumpet. I left my trumpets at work today. This is my one of my spare horns. But I also will I will take the third slide out like this. And I usually do this when they're trying to hit that high A. Instead of blowing through all this tubing and going through this bell, uh, they don't have their air moving correctly. And so I'll have them play it third valve so it comes out of this tube and it makes the note a lot easier to play. I mean I. You know, you can play the note 
sort of easily. It's not very loud, but it gives it'll give them the feeling of what that note feels like. And uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, look at this stuff I do and they go, "Oh, that's a bunch of BS." You know, he's a witch. Don't listen to him. You know, but these are just little tricks and and little things to experiment with. I mean, I've seen piccolo trumpet players play the Brandenburg Trumpet Concerto, taking that fourth slide out and playing that high A and that through that too because it comes out easier. And that's what made me think of that. And through my own problems I was having coming back from this radiation, I had a lot of trouble centering notes that used to be very good for me. And by doing stuff like this is how I relearned to play them again. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my fourth valve, is this, well, the spit valve. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kathy asked that question. And then Rick, were, Mike, were you listening to Rick's question? He just asked, what would you uh, tell a high school student who wanted to build their range? Oh, no. Uh, the, the fourth valve question is okay. extremely personal to Wayne, and I wanted to yeah. hear that story. And then all of a sudden, a I great... got a free lesson because I had no idea about the third slide for the double A. Well, what would you guys <laughs> recommend for high school kids trying to build their range on the trumpet? I would say, if I can chime in, I would say get rid of the word build. Mm. And I would replace that with discover. Because I'm a product of that myself. And my drummer in my high school band, who knew nothing about the fucking trumpet. Sorry, I shouldn't be cursing on here. There might be kids watching. <laughs> nothing about that darn trumpet. He, had, he just liked high note trumpet. He would pick up my horn. No one even, doesn't even know what the notes are. And would just go... And he would just like, he saw Maynard Ferguson doing that. And he could play a double high C louder than I could with wow. zero training and doesn't even know what the notes are. You know, so getting the physics equation right here through experimentation, airspeed, jaw, lip pressure, uh, doesn't mean you don't practice. <laughs> yeah. Because you yeah. practice to discover those things. And, you know, you get some guidance from somebody that might give you, you know, somebody told me to put my jaw out. Uh, when I played, even though I could already play high, and all of a sudden the notes came out easier. So there's little things you do that'll get you to that next, over that next hump. What, what do you think, Dan? What, do you, what would you suggest? I mean, I can only go by my own experience, you know, and the way I discovered, you know, the higher register was by playing along with records that I liked. And those were like, you know, Maynard records and Chase records and stuff. And other big band records, Dan Kenton records, and just trying to figure out what that music was it just sounded so cool and just kind of i mean i wore it out man in my basement i put on the record player and just go and go until i was just beat to a pulp and i did that a lot and eventually figured out how to play up there you know um but you know a more practical approach would be to honestly just you know practice your clark studies a lot you know just develop some face you know and then uh, your abilities just seem to to grow from there, you know. Yeah, you have to have the foundational, you know, like I said, I developed a lot of bad habits from being able to play high when I was young, and I had to build a foundation after that. But now my building is really screwed up because the upper floor is like there and the foundation is not holding it up very well. So I went through a lot of chop problems and, and you know, did a lot of things wrong that kind of screwed me up growing up that I had to undo later. I'm still undoing. I'm 64 years old. I'm still undoing bad habits. You know, so what Dan's talking about, the foundational practice and stuff, uh, all needs to be done. But with discovering that upper register, it really is a lot of experimentation. 
mm-hmm. um, with 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 draw position. You see you just you see different trumpet players that move. You know, you see maybe this or that, or maybe they come down one way or another when they go high. You look at Dan. You know, Dan. You'll see movement when he goes into the upper register. Dan is usually more down when he goes higher. Arturo Sandoval more up. Bell goes up. Um, and so those little yes. things change the direction of the air, maybe launch you into this other thing, you know. Uh, the exception is Alan Mazzuti doesn't seem to move a muscle and can play every note on the trumpet, so, yeah. which is just unbelievable to me. But but there is movement going on inside his mouthpiece you don't see, because you to change those notes, things have to happen, obviously. Well, we have another question. Yeah. Richie asks, how would you go about learning to do a Harry James-style vibrato? Go ahead, Rocha. <laughs> Friggin' shake your hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's some of that shit he plays? Uh, oh, if you're going to play again, don't point directly at your mic. You were kind of uh, overloading it last time. On the sorry, massive guys. sound. No worries. Massive sound of your... Massive harm and mute sound. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember that. There's a tune of his I really like uh, from a live, a live record. That's really cool. But anyways, um, yeah, you can when you watch videos of Harry play, he uses hand vibrato in order to intensify the the width of it and even the speed of it. Um, and back then in those those bands, Glenn Miller, essentially the white bands, Harry James, the vibrato of the entire sections would line up. They would pace them either using a duple or triple feel with the vibrato if it's doing triplets or say eighth notes or even 16th notes with vibrato. But yeah, I would move your hand. Like your right your right hand just give a little vibrato there. <laughs> USC fighting song? <laughs> I don't remember Harry ever Harry ever playing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The guy that asked yeah, that question, Richie Richie Thaler, is a very yeah. good trumpet player, ah. young trumpet you know, player. Uh, great, great listen, chops and good, would, good, good cat. Listening would be a, a big key on all of that too. You know, I think we end up, you know, emulating what we can hear. You know, and uh, yes. uh, so I would, you know, listening. If you want to, you want to play like Harry James, listen to Harry James. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. All I, the time. I, I, I did. I did forget to mention that Cassie was the first one in line to watch the show tonight, and she says hi. And she Cassie. also she sent a, a, a heart emoji and then Wayne. So she loves Wayne. <laughs> oh, Cassie's my a dear dear friend of mine. We've known each other for a long long time, and she's and actually marvelous the, singer. She asked the question about the fourth valve. I think that yeah, marvelous marvelous. Uh, uh, singer and, and great friend, and her husband is happens to be Lee Thornburg, oh. who is uh, you know one of our idols here as well. Dan and I for sure. You know, Lee is a, one of the most soulful. He no played joke. the tower in the tower power trumpet section. I mean, horn section never sounded so good. You know, mm-hmm. Stone Cold Monster, Badass Man, Monster on a Leash Man. It's probably the yeah. best sections ever sounded, in my my opinion. No disrespect mm-hmm. to any of those great players that have done it, but that section. Was slamming, and anyway, he gets to be married to Cassie. Though, what a lucky dude he is! <laughs> you know. Uh, well, I, the thing we we didn't really get to talking about, which I kind of wanted to, was about being uh, playing in a section. Is there anything you guys, any 
bits of advice or or we could just go the whole road story thing. Oh <laughs> People love those stories. write a book but. on that. I'm going to tell you, Dan Fanero and I, and now Mike is in the band, but Dan and I play a lot together and played a lot before I even met Mike. And mm-hmm. Dan and I have a really good, I feel we have a really good one-two punch together. Because he's a, besides being a great, great lead player, and Dan is truly one of my favorite lead players, you know, in this town and, and anywhere. Um, dependable. Good sound, good pitch, good time. But he's a rock-solid second trumpet player, and that's not always the case with, good, with first trumpet players. Because Dan has a, you know, he's got a big sound. He's got a, in, this, in L.A. here, the trumpet players tend to play, we try to play more orchestrally because we're trying to do that work. So we tend to have not such screechy sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're rounder. And Dan has that, so when he plays underneath me, I feel like I have this big bed to sit on, a cushion, and I try to give him the same luxury in return. And, and Mike, uh, you know, when he's playing in the section where he's playing second other, I feel that from him, too. And I think it's one of the most important things that a lead trumpet player wants, man, is the support. <clears throat> and and the, Dan has a sixth sense, like, he can sense when I'm tired, mm. you know, and he knows the music well enough, so he'll get out of my way if I need room. Or if I, he knows I'm going to lay out on a unison, he'll step up as dynamic, a half a dynamic, so you don't notice the sound change. So those things are, they seem like little trivial things, but man, they make a section sound great. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the uh, job. That's the job of a section player. I was taught uh, by Steve Spencer my uh, my first year of college. He said uh, the job of the section player is to make the lead player sound great. He goes, you can make that guy sound good. The band will swing. It'll it'll be great. You know. Well, they'll want you back as well. Mm. You, know, you play mm-hmm. with somebody, and they, you make their job easier. They go, oh, man, it felt great when Dan was here. Let's get him back. <laughs> you know, when that Wayne Bergeron guy was here, he tried to play lead from the third book again. You know, like he always does. <laughs> so uh, what's, the, what's the state of uh, work these days? Do you think it's is it coming back? Or? Well, I'll jump in on this, man. Uh, <clears throat> things have been coming back pretty good after, after good. Uh, COVID. Uh, much, much to all of our surprise. Uh, but when Omicron hit in, uh, at the end of December, it wiped out January and February pretty hardcore for my book anyway. Yeah. And, uh, took a real hit, man. It wasn't fun. I feel like it's climbing back now. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. But, uh, uh, you know, the whole industry has changed so much and, uh, you know, whatever the future is going to bring for what's left of, of, of what we do with it, you know, being a you know, globalization and the digital era where, you know, everything can be done anywhere uh, by yeah. really great musicians for less money, frankly, than it costs to do it in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a changing uh, landscape for sure. Did you do a lot of remote recording, Dan? I was fortunate to get quite a bit of that. Yeah. Good. That really kept me alive during uh, COVID. Okay, well, we're, we're coming up uh, on the 8 o'clock hour, and just anybody have any last words of wisdom, anything you want to tell people? Um, can I give a shameless plug? Yeah. Um, I did a, uh, during COVID, while I was putting my face back together, and I was finding I had no place to play, there was no gigs at the time, so I created, uh, much like Mike Rocha, uh, I created a, uh, a play-along, big band play-along app. Um, oh, yeah. It's just... It's just Wayne Bergeron play along and it's available at the app store. But if you don't have an Apple phone, 
the same thing is available by download at a website called Adacat, A-D-D-A-C-A-T dot com. And it's 12 swing tunes that are all public domain, and Tom Kubis did them. And I played all the trumpets, and Andy Martin played all the trombones, Salzano played all the saxes, Tom Kubis played piano, Ray Brinker and Trey Henry uh uh, on bass and drums and uh, they really came out great and they I found them a really valuable tool for practice because nothing be like we're saying you know sitting around practicing exercises is, is not going to really do it nothing beats playing a gig so what I would do is I just play these charts down from top to bottom count every rest play the intro uh, crank up the speaker so you can play like a lead trumpet player and play their parts aren't too high, so they're accessible, you know, by a strong high school player. And uh, <clears throat> I'm getting really rich uh, off this, by the way. It's just like, <laughs> and I just got my first royalty check the other day, and uh, and I was thinking about I was going to buy a strip mall, but I only had enough to buy a stripper, so I. I <laughs> so anyway, that's my my shameless plug, and I've got volume oh. two. Volume two coming up. That's in the in the can here in my studio. And well, I will put those uh, links in the newsletter and in the uh, uh, in the show notes and all that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, anybody else? Yeah, Dan, you got anything to plug? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, though. Mike. <laughs> hey, you know, Wayne, I've got the Atticat website pulled up here, and I noticed that um, each of the instruments costs uh, thirty dollars each. Do you know if there's a way to get that for free? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, I, 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 you happen to know the right person. Um, I'm just playing. No, these so are no, great, that, man. These are super cool. But the, the app, the cool thing about the app is it's $9 or $10. Mm-hmm. And if you've got an iPad, you've got a controller there and all this. With the download, you get the chart, you know, and you get an MP3 with your instrument and without it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's a little bit limited. Cool. Uh <clears throat> Uh, but it's good. It's really great. It's great. Qual- the, the, it's recorded top notch, no expense, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, no expense, Spared. basically, because everybody did it for free. But it's really, it really sounds great. And um, uh, yeah, fine. It's a f- good, it's a really good workout. I can. Uh, I remember I can when you. Now. I remember when you were putting it out. I remember when you were putting it out. It's. I mean, what an amazing practice tool for any of these, anyone in the in the band. Yeah, and you can blow a solo on it if you want, you know, but it gets pretty long-winded if you're playing the lead part and a solo and, and all that. So. Right. So, yeah. So, um, that, anyway, that's that's the only thing I'm, I'm plugging right now. I mean. And um, I know, uh, Billy, you asked me if I had a plug. And uh, no, what I actually would like to talk about was uh, what I wanted to chime in on what Dan and Wayne were saying about um, – Rick's question earlier about what would you tell a high school trumpet player to build their range? Because I really liked uh, everything that was said is um, extremely on point, you know, thinking outside of the box and discovering your range. And then um, what Dan said was, um, you know, getting a face going. So, like, for instance, uh, I guess I'll plug Herbert L. Clark. I didn't (laughs) write this, but, you know, get yourself a solid technical study book and, uh, you know, really hit this stuff. The idea is to not, it's not about high notes. It's about establishing a super strong foundation, whether you're going to go to the Arbenz book, whether you're going to do technical exercises, it, it doesn't really matter so long as you're focused on playing great trumpet from like low C to high C. If you can get that really rock solid, then all of a sudden going above that high C starts to become like Wayne said, the attic, you're discovering it. 
Um, I don't have a great double A, but my G is strong, so I feel good about that at least. But, you know, I think that uh, that's what I would tell some youngsters is is to really spend the majority of your time, probably 80%, 85%, 90% on really building that solid foundation with the uh, in regards to technique and music creation. You know, when you're going to play one of the characters or the the Arben songs in the back of the book, make sure that you're really understanding like what it means to make music and phrase and um, articulate correctly and understand dynamics and be able to control all that stuff on a deep level. Range will come. It will come. I mean, because this is my take. I wasn't born. I didn't pick up a trumpet and screech out a double C. Like it, uh, middle C, this tuning note C was my max. Uh, you know, when I was, you know, in sixth grade when I got my horn or whatever. <laughs> so it was a longer road for me. But um, stay the course, you know, stay the course and really practice. If you can fit, if you can fit two hours of practice in a day, like you're going to grow a lot. So just keep that in mind. And uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Hey, Bravo, Mike. Rocha. Just a, Bravo, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just, very nice. Yeah. My, yeah Rocha, but to chime in on that, what you can do with those foundational things in the Arbin's book is play them up to your top of your range. Mm-hmm. So that might mean modifying some of those things. You know, playing mm-hmm. one of those uh, little etudes up a step, maybe. So it mm-hmm. stretches your ability. It's still within your wheelhouse to play all the notes. Maybe one of the notes is at the top of your... And you keep touching on that every day. And then maybe you go up, try to half step up. And you keep kind of touching on it, and you get yourself familiar with what those notes feel like. And then when you go back down to the original key, it seems low. Yeah. You know, so we can we can trick ourselves into making, uh, you know, making things easier than they seem. You know, sometimes there's a lot of a mm-hmm. mental game that goes on with with all of that for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And always pushing, always pushing that boundary, right? Where your top, where your ceiling is, and where your basement is, constantly pushing up against those things so that they keep going and going and going. I hear yeah. Dan Fanero when he practices, Dan is a very diligent warm-up cat, man. He does this thing religiously every day. Every time I hear him, I can't even bother him when we're on the session. He's like just doing his thing. He's like, don't bother me till I'm done with this. And he leaves <laughs> it on his face and he leaves it stuck there. And he's, he's like in training. You know, he's got the thing on his face and he's connecting the registers and through that consistent practice every day and consistent foundational stuff that he does is why he's so consistent. If you just take that horn out of your case and go, oh, I got it, and you start playing as loud as you can, you might survive one day. But (laughs) if you don't do foundational stuff like an athlete every day, you're going to be very inconsistent. And that's probably, from what I can tell, being a rhythm section guy, the trumpet, it's you're really relying on that foundation as much or maybe more than a lot of other instruments, right? Yeah, this thing's a... pain in the ass man it's like it's relentless man it was once it. an olympic sport it was <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, we went full circle yeah. <laughs> hey let me let me just do a couple of uh, shout outs here we have a bunch of comments coming in towards the end veronica says wonderful show thank you for sharing your expertise as, so generously uh let's see andre who is our most consistent tipper he comes to every show and tips every show thank you andre he's the you can you. still tip if you're watching this on the archive or when you get done listening to the guys you want to throw something in that's how that's how we pay the guys every little bit come helps. on andre get out 
your gold card, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, let's see. Crypto, uh, baby. Crypto. Andre says he's enjoying the conversation. Let's see. Uh, Steve says, my generation 183356LA has been taking a beating. Just quickly, how different is the second generation? Does that? Uh, the second generation, I would say if there's a difference, yeah. is uh, it might be a little bit more resistant. Not that it's smaller, but the uh, processing of the horn, the way they annealed the metal, there's a bunch of different things, there's different parts on it. And I asked for that because my horn is, the original LA is pretty open, mm -hmm. and I've always kind of liked open horn. Now that I'm older and have gotten sick <laughs> and gone through the, some of this stuff in my life, I need a little bit more resistance. As a matter of fact, I've even done it in my mouthpiece. Uh, created more resistance, easier, something to blow against, you know. So, so you, but had it's a lot of input, you had a lot of input on these horns, Wayne? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> are, are they, so, what, so what does a model like that cost? Uh, how would I know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's our standard banter, Dan Fadero and I. They go, hey, those GR mouthpieces, Wayne, what do those cost? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, a it, is a, it is a nice luxury to have to be able to get some free stuff. Man, I gotta tell you, man, it's... Uh, but uh -huh. no, it's a really a great trumpet, man. It's a, I stand behind it, and it's making a lot of noise uh, in the trumpet world right now. A lot of players are calling me from New York and and uh, and saying, "I got this horn now, man. It's changed my life." And, oh, that's and great. Uh, so I'm very proud to be associated with it. Bob Malone was actually designed the horn, and he's the Yamaha R and D guru that's everything brass and knows everything. Big Fat Band is an all Yamaha. Uh, trumpet section. Wow. Bob alone. Yeah, uh, Bob alone. Heck yeah. Let me just do a couple more of these. Kathy says, great practice tips and growing tips. Thank you all. Then over here on the YouTube side, let's see, I guess Normalized Audio is a sax player and he says, uh, inspired by all you LA cats. Uh, Randy says, great show all of you guys. Rick, thanks for the uh, insight. Uh, let's see. Oh, Daryl says, thanks for sharing. Rick says, thank you. Uh, and Matthew says, this was great, guys. Thanks. And Frank says, hey, Wayne, hi from Idaho. Love the mindset. <laughs> oh, awesome, man. <laughs> so I think we'll, we'll just uh, call it a night there. We'll have to have you guys back. And it, it, maybe we can get you guys in the studio and do some playing, show some people what, what the best horn section in L.A. can do. Well, you know, we, awesome. maybe, let's do that, Billy. Let's come in. We'll put we'll put some ensemble stuff together, and we That'd can, be awesome. we, can we can talk about some of the things we talked about tonight and implement. And maybe we'll do it incorrectly. You know, but then we can do you, you know trumpet uh, night two, higher, faster, louder. Yeah. Well, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's say a big hand for Wayne Bergeron. Yes, thanks, Wayne. And then, of course, Dan mm -hmm. Fornero. And uh, Mike Rocha, also, you guys were fantastic. Thank you, everybody Thank you. out there. Get on the mailing list. You know, come see us every Thursday night. It's live once a month. We do a talk show, different musicians and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm going to play the outro, if I can find the right thing for it. Hey, thank, thank you, Billy. Billy. Thank you, guys, for doing this. And, yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys to, uh, Thursday night. Thanks for joining us at Live at Zero BPM. These videos will be archived on YouTube and Facebook, so tell your friends. These jazz roundtable shows will also be released as a podcast, so please subscribe. Go to live at zeropm.com for details and to sign up for our mailing list. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon.